Happy Friday, theatre lovers. This week's guest is Dave Mitchell. We talk about how missing football tryouts changed the course of his life, the many layers to fight choreography, why staying in the moment is crucial in theatre, and much more. Dave is thoughtful and direct and openly shares his experiences with a light sense of humour. On with the show. Okay, so welcome Dave Mitchell to Sarnia Famous. Thank you very much. Hello, thank you for having me. Being here today. So uh, kind of an unconventional way of asking you to be on the show. I believe it was yep. Trevor just gave me your phone number, <laughs> which felt really yeah. creepy to me, but hopefully it wasn't received as such on your end no, of things. it's not creepy at all. Uh, Trevor and I have known each other for quite a while. Oh, good. Um, and you and I have never actually like officially worked together, but we hung out at a party kind of in proximity mm-hmm. for Emily's birthday. So yes. um, I believe at that party you may have started a phallic drawing parade of a certain garment that Emily was wearing or about to wear for her birthday, if I recall. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They told me right in the beginning, I said, uh, is it okay if I draw a penis? And they said, sure. And then I did. And uh, I don't know if they regretted that decision or not, but uh, I'm quite proud of my uh, of my artistic skills in that area. <laughs> I think everyone was fine with it, except for maybe Emily. <laughs> she, she was like, now I can never wear this t-shirt in public, which was pretty funny. So yeah, I, uh, I went through Andrea... Hughes Coleman gave me a amazing spreadsheet that has everybody's stuff that they've worked on in the theater. Oh, yes. Just so yeah, I know Andrea cool. well. I've worked with her in the past. Okay. Um, yeah, you've got quite a, a, a list here, unless there's more than one Dave Mitchell in the Theater Sarnia circuit. You've got a really extensive list of experience at the theater. I, I moved here in 2005, and uh, um, I've done quite a bit since then, so I, I try to do as much as I can. Okay, so there has to be another Dave Mitchell, because the earliest I have on this list is February 1977. So okay, I was, like, I was three years old at that I point. I thought so! I was like, yeah. wow! <laughs> so, no, that's a little early. There must be another Dave Mitchell lurking somewhere in the shadows. But uh, my, my career with Theater Sarnia, while well, in the Sarnia area, starts in 2006, I think, technically. Okay, I have listed here Into the Woods at, in 2007 as the earliest. Yes. So I also worked with uh, Carrie Beauchamp with Hidden Talents. That was actually the first show I did in Sarnia was Beauty and the Beast. Okay. But if you'd like, I can tell you a little bit about my background and sure, how I came I'd to love Sarnia. That. Yes, I figured that would be a good place to start. I didn't really think of theater as, as a calling, really, until I went to high school. Before I went to high school, uh, I was your typical kid. I read a lot, I, I, but I wasn't really into theater. I didn't know much about it. I saw Oliver, the movie Oliver, on television, um, the movie of the musical, and I liked the music very much. So that was the very first record album that I ever bought with my own money, was the the <laughs> soundtrack to Oliver the the movie and I listened to that to death but I still didn't really put that together as something that I would like to do I just like the music going forward to high school when I went into high school I figured well I'm in high school now I should do something I should be involved in some sort of extracurricular activity and so I decided to try out for the football team because that's what you did in high school 
And uh, unfortunately, by the time I made that decision, I had already missed the tryouts by one day. And uh, upon discovering that, I cast about looking for anything else to do that was still available, and I came across an audition notice for West Side Story, which our school was doing that year. So I said, okay, I'll do that instead. And uh, little did I know that that decision would influence literally the entire course of my life. I did uh, musical theater all through high school. I went through uh, high, the high school I attended. Uh, the woman who ran the uh, drama program there was uh, very well respected. Her name was Helen Zedrillic. She unfortunately passed away about five or six years ago, but she was very well respected in the theater community in Ontario and as a teacher. And she was very driven and she knew how to get the best out of her students. So she was very active with student productions. We did probably two big shows a year, one in the spring, one in the fall, and then various other little shows sprinkled in between, whether they be for classes or special presentations or Remembrance Day ceremonies and things like that. So really, I spent more time in high school in the auditorium than I did anywhere else in the building. I decided that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I wanted to be an actor. So when I graduated high school, I applied to university because once again, you know, that's at the time and to a certain extent still now, the high schools were pushing for university as post-secondary. If you don't go to university, then you're, you're not doing it right. So I wanted to go to university and get a degree. So I went to university for drama and I went to University of Waterloo, which is a well-renowned engineering university. It wasn't known for its drama department. Although when I got there, I discovered that the faculty, although small, they were very knowledgeable and very well known in their fields. Uh, one of the professors we had there, his name was Joel Greenberg, and he's, he's actually uh, the recipient of two Dora Awards, which is like the Canadian version of the Tonys for direction in his past. And uh, another one of our professors was Martin Van Dyke, who uh, was head of the World Brecht Council. And anybody knows anything about Brecht is, uh, well, actually, that only means to any something to uh, people who do know who Brecht is. He was a playwright. But, so they're very renowned in their fields. I went through university, again, mostly just there to do the shows, and uh, graduated from university in 1994. Decided to get, uh, I got an agent in Toronto working for me, and I started doing some work in Toronto. Uh, I was living in Kitchener at the time because I graduated from the University of Waterloo. And as I needed to have an income to support myself and uh, my new wife at the time, I started working in bars and restaurants. Now, the unfortunate thing about working in bars and restaurants, although it is flexible to allow me days to go into Toronto and attend auditions, I couldn't afford to do anything unless it was paying because it would take me away from my income. So I spent a lot of time auditioning. I got a few gigs here and there, smaller ones, a bit of commercial work, that kind of thing. But I, I hadn't really, because of the nature of working at nights and weekends uh, in, in the bars and restaurants, I wasn't able to do any community theater or anything, uh, any volunteer theater. And because of that, I spent an awfully long time not doing the thing which I really love to do, which is musicals. I found that that's really where my heart was, was doing musicals. So when my wife, at the time, uh, got a job here in Sarnia, 
I packed up my kit and moved here with her, and I had to quit my job. And I found myself with a whole bunch of extra time on my hands. So that brings us to 2005 when I moved here. And I started looking about, well, what can I do with myself? What can I do with my time? And I saw an audition notice from Carrie Beauchamp's Hidden Talents saying that they were doing Beauty and the Beast. And I thought, well, this is terrific. I'd love to be in Beauty and the Beast. I'd love to do something again. And I auditioned for Gaston, and I got it. And that was the first show I did in Sarnia in 2006. From there, I, I started meeting people and getting involved with not just Hidden Talents, but also uh, the Theatre Sarnia. I did uh, a show with Andrea Hughes, who you mentioned earlier. She directed me in a show called Bathroom Humor. And then I did, that's when I did Into the Woods that you mentioned earlier. And it just kind of snowballed. I just kind of kept doing shows and kept my hand in things. And over the years, I've done quite a bit. Not as much as I would like, because, you know, life is a thing. And community theater uh, takes a lot. Especially when you're working shift work, community theater is difficult to fit into your schedule. So I, I, I'm unable to do as much as I would like. If I worked a Monday to Friday nine to five kind of job then I would do every show that came along because it, it would be it would just for the fun of it but because I work shift work because it takes a lot of time out of my work schedule to do these shows I have to be very judicious about what I what I'm able to do I have done quite a bit quite a few shows over the years some notable ones again with hidden talents I, I was in Jekyll and Hyde which was a tremendous opportunity for me because I played both Jekyll and Hyde Ooh, yeah they're played by the same actor on the stage, and that probably was the toughest role for me to date, simply because of the sheer volume of material involved. The, 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 I was unfamiliar with the script, I was unfamiliar with the music in the beginning, and I think there was a total of maybe 10 minutes that I wasn't on stage in the whole show. Oh, wow. Right. And so it was, there was an awful lot of work that went into that show, and I'm very proud of, of what I did for that. Going forward... Some other notables have been, uh, I did uh, Guys and Dolls. I played Sky Masterson, which was a fun role. I had a lot of fun, and coincidentally, Carrie Beauchamp was, played opposite me in that show. Then I, Carrie did Les Mis with uh, Hidden Talents, Les Miserables, of course. And I got to be involved in that, and that was a tremendous production. Uh, very, very fortunate to have been involved in that one. One of the more recent ones is Hunchback of Notre Dame with Theater Sarnia. That was, uh, again, I didn't know the show going into it, but I came to really like that show, and I really enjoyed that process, and I think that was probably one of the best shows I've been involved in. I'm very, again, very proud of the entire production of that show. I thought that was a tremendous experience working on that show. Uh, most recently, I was in um, Something Rotten, and uh, that was, again, a different kind of show, but, and, and I got a chance to play a uh, uh, more comedic role, which is what I enjoy doing. I really like comedy. I like finding, as I kind of call it, kind of finding the funny in the script. Something you just said right now that struck me, though, and I'd love to learn more about it, is finding the funny in the script. Is, yes. there, is there a process for you, or do things just naturally jump out at you as you read through the script? Sometimes they jump out at the script. Sometimes the author leaves clues about what they want the joke to be where they want the jokes to be be it the rhythm of the dialogue or, or actually in the dialogue itself it's 
somewhat rare that the, the, the scriptwriter writes the joke right into the dialogue, set up, payoff kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, usually you have to, sometimes it's indicated pretty well, but sometimes you have to look into the script and find what makes that funny. Why did the author say that that particular way? What is the joke or the implication? And uh, some of the other times, I, uh, you, know, you can, what I really mean by finding the funny is finding the humor in bits that aren't implicitly in the script. Mm. Where uh, you, and that process comes from working with actors on stage and uh, in the rehearsal process. Uh, and when you're dealing, when you're working with, with people who are committed to the process and who are open to ideas and playful in that they're willing to, they're willing to take risks and they're willing to take ideas even if they don't know where they're going just yet and run with them to see what happens. That's where you find that process. That's, that's, all, that's the actor's job, really, with mm -hmm. a script, is to take a script and bring new ideas to the stage mm -hmm. and do something and find something new in everything you do every time you do it so that the director can get an overview of what's available, of the tools that are available to the director so that they can start saying, start paring it down to what they want to see on the stage. Mm -hmm. So are you a, a fan of improv then? Or are you more someone who um, likes I like improv. It's some of the best and the worst thing I've ever done is improv. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, when it, I did, I was in an improv group in, in university uh, my last year and then the year after I graduated. I was in an improv group and we do go down to the, I forget the name of the bar, but we'd go down to a bar in Kitchener, and, which had a little stage, and we do an improv group, whether the patrons wanted it or not. <laughs> and it was advertised, hey, improv, so they got fair warning at the door. But, um, Didn't get sprung up. And we come up, with, we come up with a program of, of you know, scenarios and how we were going to do it and ask for audience interaction, try and get them involved as much as possible. And uh, the reason I'd say it's some of the best and the worst things I've ever done is when improv is working and the audience is involved mm -hmm. and they're invested in what you're doing and you hit the, you, you really hit the point, all the, you find all the funny, I guess. There's no better feeling in the world mm -hmm. than when things are working and flowing and the mm -hmm. audience is digging it and everybody's into it. Mm -hmm. It's like magic. Mm -hmm. But when the audience isn't into it, when they couldn't care less and they're drinking their beer and having their conversations and you're pulling teeth trying to get anybody to look at you, it is the worst feeling in the world. Mm. It is awful. I can see but, that you uh, have you gotta, to grow a thick skin real quick. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you got to be able to rely on yourself to keep things going. Mm. You know, because there's always someone look, you know, if, even if 90% of the people aren't paying attention, there are some people who are. Yeah. So you got to make it, you got to push through for those people who are actually paying attention and for yourself because it's, it's an exercise on, you know, how do I, how do I brought, reach this audience? How do I use the subject matter to make this accessible to the audience that really isn't finding, grooving what you're doing, mm. right? I, here's an example one night of where uh, improv can go very, very right. Uh, we were doing an improv where you, the audience gave us characters and a location, and they, before the show we had passed out these slips of paper and they were supposed to write dialogue, just one line of dialogue on a slip of paper. And we collected them all up and then just shoved half the pieces, divided them in half, put half the pieces of paper in my pocket and half the piece of paper 
in my partner's pocket. And we had the audience select the, the characters and location. I, it turns out I was a German tourist in Alabama. Oh. And uh, my partner was, uh, I think he was a, I, I don't know if he was the bus, like if he, if he worked at the bus station or if he was just a, a yokel. I think he was probably just a yokel. But as we went along the dialogue, you try and set up these, these lines as you pull them out of your pocket. You, you want them to sound natural when you say them, right? Yeah. So um, I introduced myself as a German tourist, and, you know, it kind of went okay from there. And then uh, my partner, he says, well, you know what my grandpappy used to say about the Germans? Oh. He used to say, and he pulled a piece of paper oh, no. on his pocket, opened it up and read, Pilot to Bombardier! Pilot to Bombardier! Oh, dear. And the, the place erupted. I had tears running down my face. I was laughing so hard. It was one of the funniest things I've ever had the privilege of being involved in in my life. It was terrific. Just, just because you had that, that provenance of everything falling into place, and the audience was into it, and it was like you, like you, it was like you set off a bomb. The place just exploded with laughter. It was terrific. Uh, that gave me butterflies or like anxiety just <laughs> thinking about you know pulling yeah, something out. Yeah, it's not out. for the faint of heart because no. you never know what's coming next. Absolutely, and the the what a skill to roll with it and not just oh absolutely <laughs> crumble and laugh. And that's something that people forget sometimes, or or don't people who aren't involved in theater don't realize is how much of a a skill, a practiced skill it is to do improv. Absolutely, I watch Colin Mockery and. Oh. Uh, Ryan Stiles on, on Whose Line Is It Anyway, Wayne Brady. Um, I watch those guys with astonishment at how good they are. Yeah, talk about they magic. Are, yeah, exactly. They're, they're, their skill has hit the point where they're masters at it. It's so natural to them. Uh, right. Just like breathing. Like they don't even look like they're sweating it at all. It's just fun. Exactly. And I think you really have to... to really appreciate what they're doing you have to have done improv to realize just how hard it is mm -hmm. and how easy they make it look absolutely absolutely what's such a great show you can watch it, it uh, repeatedly and still find something there that's hilarious okay another thing that i wrote down that i i selfishly really wanted to ask you about was sure. in the uh, little booklet for um evil dead you're listed yes. as the fight choreographer I, don't I was know everything about that <laughs> uh, well when I was in university I took uh, some I, I've always been interested in combat choreography since I was started getting involved in theater in high school you know it's the idea of a fight on stage now they call it choreography because it's not combat you're not hurting the other person you're really it's like a dance you're just making a dance that looks like fighting that's why they call it choreography. And like a dance, it, it has to have a story, it has to build, it has to carry emotion, it has to forward uh, the characters and the plot, usually. 99 times of 100, you have to tick all those marks when you're doing a combat choreography. Okay. In university, I had the privilege of working uh, with, in a variety of different ways with um, some of the combat choreographers that uh, were at Stratford. Uh, James Binkley and Wayne Best, and they're also renowned uh, combat choreographers in film as well, and television. Cool. And I learned quite a bit from them, and that's what I—that's became what I like to do. I, uh, 
especially sword work. I love sword work. I've never really had an opportunity until Hunchback of Notre Dame to, to do any sword choreography, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time doing that show. But uh, yeah, I, the, the Evil Dead was really the first opportunity I had to act purely as a combat choreographer. In the past, I've worked on shows where we did, you know, a hit here or there, you know, where you could do a little bit of choreography. But to choreograph a fight from beginning to end, uh, The Evil Dead was uh, the first opportunity I had to do that. And it was such a fun, fun show to work on because you could be completely ridiculous. Completely ridiculous because that's the point of the show is to be almost cartoonish. And uh, so that opened up a lot of possibilities and avenues for me. And the cast were uh, an absolute pleasure to work for. And again, because they were open to new opportunities and they brought their own ideas. And they, in a lot of cases, found the funny on their own. They made it very easy to work with them. Are you, uh, is there a puppy? You're t are you What's taking that? care of a puppy right now? Yeah, I'm letting my dog in. Okay. It's actually my girlfriend's dog. That makes my heart happy because yeah. <laughs> um, usually, I don't know if you could hear my cat a few minutes ago scratching and meowing at the door. So it's nice no, when other people's pets. I are... have a very vocal cat as well. So you may hear, hear him if he comes in. Okay. Uh, I, if you were to teach a class on fight choreography, I would be yes. the first person to sign up, especially if there were swords involved because, oh my swords? goodness. I would love to do a workshop with swords. Yes, um, please. I, I, I would love to do that. I have done, uh, with the Sarnia Theater Youth Group, I ran a combat choreography, but it was just, not just, but it wasn't swords at all. There was, it was all unarmed. So you're talking uh, kicks, slaps, punches, falls, that kind of thing. That would be um, fun, too. Yeah, it would, it's, it's a lot of fun when you get into it. And uh, it's, it's good exercise, too, because mm -hmm. it keeps you moving. And it's a good thought exercise because the idea is you're not supposed to uh, you're not supposed to just go through the motions. You have to think about it as an actor. How do I s tell the story through these uh, through these actions? How do I show my character through these actions? Mm. So you're not just throwing a punch. You're being motivated to do so. You've decided to do so. You put this plan into action, and then you have the reaction and the aftermath of that. And that happens with every movement on the stage. And so you can tell a very complicated character story, like a character progression, you can, uh, an emotional journey, if you will. You can tell a very complicated emotional journey without using any words at all. And that's, that's why, again, that's why they call it choreography, because it it's fulfills the same, kind of, the same kind of demands that dance has of it on the stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I mean, I just took classes in high school so this is like knowledge from a very long time ago but mm -hmm. I remember being reminded that silence on stage is never a good thing and you want to try and avoid it as much as possible unless you can fill it in other ways so then I was just thinking that fighting even though there's action you're not necessarily speaking and you mm -hmm. have to make it interesting. And I love what you said about how your character still has to come through. And I would think that there's two levels of practicing then because you're learning the moves, the choreography, and then you're learning how your character interacts with those moves, which... Absolutely. When you're rehearsing it, you're, for, you're primary, doing any kind of combat choreography, the number one concern 
at all times is the safety of the actors on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if it's not safe, it's a no-go right out of the gate. So you have to be, you have to learn the mechanics of what you're doing. You have to be thinking with an analytical mind about the step-by-step choreography of what you're doing. But you also have to get the motivation in there. You also have to get the character piece, the emotion in there. So that typically comes, you lay out the choreography, and sometimes, sometimes the uh, emotion informs the choreography as well. Like when you're, uh, when you're choreographing something, you could say, okay, well, the emotional state is doing this, so this, this is how that affects what's actually happening on the stage, mm. like the, the direction of the fight. And other times you have to kind of lay that emotion over top of what you're doing. But it should always be intertwined so that you can tell that story with the fight. A fight without a story is just a boxing match, which is we, we, nothing wrong with boxing matches, but that's not what we're trying to do on the stage. And I think that's why people love Muhammad Ali so much, incidentally, is because he did bring that emotion to the ring with him when he was boxing. That's why this people got so invested in his career is because he was such a dynamic personality and he brought that into the ring. Mm-hmm. So he told the story in the ring. So it, I, I know you've just said that um, you really only had the two main experiences with coordinating um, fight stuff. Mm-hmm. But was there... I, oh? No, that, uh, more recently, I, for one of the one acts I was able uh, to... Uh, that just happened in September. I was I had the pleasure of, of doing a combat choreography in that as well. So, you know, I, I look for every opportunity that comes up. Good for you. You got to hustle to get, get what you mm-hmm. like to do. And, and I know, especially for Evil Dead... Again and and again and again and again and again, whoever I've spoken to from that production has mentioned safety and how important it was, even though the show is fun and goofy. Um, But I'm just wondering, has there ever been times when things have gone awry and you've had to... Oh, sure. A couple of examples. One that I wasn't directly involved in and one that I kind of was. Um, I did a show in university. It was again a one act, but the director had choreographed had the script called for a punch to happen. It wasn't didn't involve me. I wasn't throwing or receiving the punch. It was two other actors. But I was on stage at the time when the punch was thrown, and the the direction was is that the the person was going to throw the punch, and then there's an immediate blackout, so that the audience doesn't see the aftermath of the punch. That's li- that's the end of the scene. And the two actors, during a live performance, the two actors were going through the scene, and they, were, uh, and, uh, they got to the point of the punch, and the one actor reared back, and he punched, and he accidentally cracked the guy in the face as hard as he could. Oh, broke his nose, and then the lights went out instantly, so the audience didn't really realize what happened. But the actor who, was, who re- got the punch, he had his nose broken, he, oh. had, he couldn't continue the show. Oh, fortunately, oh, he didn't. We could kind of cover for his absence because mm-hmm. he wasn't an integral part of the rest of the show. But that was it, and he had to go. He had to go directly to the hospital. Oh, and the actor man. who hit him, of course, felt felt terrible. Terrible. But that's one of the primary reasons that you can't. I didn't choreograph that. I'll just uh, put that out there. I didn't I had nothing to do with that. Uh, but that is it reinforces how easy it is for things to go wrong, even when you've done it a hundred times. Absolutely. You, uh, just an honest you have mistake. to be right honest mistake but 
that's why we rehearse things and that's why we choreograph things you know in a way that even if mistakes happen it's unlikely that anybody's going to get hurt i see right? so you would you would practice that punch so that optically it looks like it's going through from the audience but in reality right. the fist never really gets close to the face type thing right okay you would just uh, put things in such a way that it you it's called it's called blocking you would block right. things in such a way that it would look real without the possibility mm -hmm. of contact there are various ways to do that without getting too technical but that would that's a way of of uh, that's an example of stage combat going very wrong mm -hmm. another way where things could happen that are unpredictable was when we did crazy for you again i didn't choreograph it we uh I forget his name off the top of my head, unfortunately, but we had a, a choreographer come in from Toronto to, to choreograph a big barroom fight scene. It, it just ridiculous again, over-the-top, funny, like really silly far barroom fight scene. But as part of this fight scene, uh, I was acting, one of the actors involved was Trevor Morris, and uh, part of this fight, fight scene, we're supposed to have this really cartoony kind of um, show, uh, like showdown where we drew on each other and fired. So he shot at me. He was the winner. I went back over the table and laid on the table. And there I was supposed to stay until the end of the scene pretending to be dead. Um, but when I went back over the table, the table tipped just enough that it was just slowly starting to go over. Oh, no. And I didn't want, and, and I was supposed to be dead, so I didn't want to move too, obviously. <laughs> so I tried to shift my weight a little bit to stop it, and it didn't work. Oh, no. So I just... As it went over, I turned my head to look to see if anybody was, it was going to fall on anybody. And here's where the importance of paying attention comes into play. There was another actor who had already been knocked unconscious, quote-unquote, lying on the ground in front of that table. And as I went over, I saw him, uh, his arm was outstretched. But as the table went over, he moved his arm out of the way, just slightly, so Ooh. the table wouldn't land on him. Ooh. So I felt very confident in just going over and going with the table onto the floor, it made a tremendous crowd. It was awesome. It was great. It wasn't planned, but it was great. But that's one of the important things that I always try and tell people on the stage at all times, not just in combat choreography, is that you have to be paying attention. Yes. Even if your part is done, yeah. you have to be paying attention. And I congratulated that actor afterwards. I said, that is one of the best examples of situational awareness I've ever seen Absolutely. on the stage of someone who's not involved in the action. Absolutely. Be in the moment, because otherwise you'll right. get a table in the face. Oh, yeah, very well, on the arm. But yes, it, it could have ended very differently had he not been that aware of what was happening on the stage. Ugh. And as it turned out, I kind of liked the table going over. It was just not something that we could do predictably every time. But yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Sorry, my uh, the hamster in my brain is like, because I'm going through all no, that information. Okay. That, and I'm picturing that, too. How, like Because mm -hmm. the way you described it was almost like, in slow motion, but I imagine mm -hmm. in reality it wasn't that slow. Well, that's very much how it felt to me Did when, it? I, when I was in the moment. It felt like I was moving in slow motion hmm. because I was, you know, I would, became aware of what was happening and I was thinking, oh, how do I stop this? And I tried something, it didn't work. And then, so I was trying to mitigate what was going to happen, inevitable at that point. So it did feel very much like it was happening in slow motion. Wow. That's wild. Um, okay, now the next thing, this is like all over the place. I uh, sure. very seldom prep for these things, but I definitely had a few notes for you. So I think the first time that I saw you on stage, 
Did you do a rendition of Somewhere That's Green for one of I the cabarets? Did. Oh my god, it was so good. That is one I of my favorite. I did. I really enjoyed faves. doing that. Tell me all like, about that. Yeah. Well, uh, the Little Shop of Horrors, I've had the misfortune of always being there, always being somewhere too early or too late to have done the show. Mm. When I got to high school, uh, the, in my grade nine year, they had just done it the year prior. And when I left high school, it was the first show they did after I left. Um, when I was in university, the same thing. They had just done it the year before I got there. Mm. And uh, apparently they had done it in Sarnia at some point, And I was, that was before I got here. I would love to do that show. I would me love too. to be a part of that show. Me too, me too. Um, it's a great show. But I, lo- I, I like all the characters in that show, and I identify with all the characters in that show. So when I was asked, Adam Forrestal and, and Theater 42 uh, was, were, were doing cabarets, and they wanted to do something different, you know, bring something different, mm-hmm. give me something that you wouldn't normally do. Mm-hmm. I said, well, okay, I'll do somewhere that's green which is, of course, sung by Audrey. And it's a terrific song. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a very funny song on the surface, but it has so many layers of pathos in it. Absolutely. That it, it's, so, it's very, very deep. At the end, you have this, this funny, ridiculous sort of caricature of a character singing the song, but at the same time, it breaks your heart mm-hmm. because of the, what is the word for that? The, the poignance of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, the juxtaposition of the funny with the sad, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I sang somewhere that's green, and uh, I, I had a blast singing it. It was so good. It was excellent, and I, like you created a little character in that moment, and it, you were embodying it. And oh yeah, it's one of my all-time favorites. And I remember being in the audience, like yes, thank you, thank you. That was so good. <laughs> um, so I'm glad I got a chance to ask you about that. Yeah, what I like about that song and like uh, about the opportunity to sing that is that it brings me to it, like it, it allows me to do a character that I don't or the character type that I don't often get to do when I'm on stage, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, a very vulnerable and emotional character, mm-hmm. a character that has insecurities, a character that is, again, very emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's very different from the characters I usually play, like. Gaston and, and Cinderella's Prince and uh, Cy Masterson mm-hmm. uh, in Les Mis I played in Yolra. I mean, you don't get much more balls to the wall than that guy, right? I think that's the brilliance of those cabarets. And, you know, after having talked to both Catherine and Adam, there is that, that they, they kind of seek those opportunities out so that people have sure. another venue to do the things they wouldn't normally get to do. And as an audience member, because I can't sing, I love those moments where things are kind of maybe a gender bend or just a different casting. It, it's sure. rich. It's great. One of the, one of the best uh, gender bending things I've ever seen, uh, Broadway, they always do a, a backwards Broadway every year. It's, oh. a, it's a, a production. It's a volunteer. The, the, the Broadway actors and performers, they volunteer to be in the show. And it's to benefit, benefit um, uh, AIDS research and AIDS relief. Mm. But they call it backwards Broadway because the idea of it is that you take a traditionally female role and have a male perform it, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Or you take a traditionally heterosexual duet, for example, mm. and change it to a to homosexual duet, right? And that changes the whole tenor of, of, of 
to peace. One of the best things I ever did was, uh, or I ever saw, was uh, a, a bunch of male dancers from, from various Broadway shows do a version of He Had It Coming. Oh. From, uh, yeah, the, the, the cell block tango. Yeah. From um, Chicago. And man, was it ever good. It was, it was astonishing how good it was. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down. I'm definitely going to look into it. Thank you. Sure thing, yeah. So we it's are definitely worth watching. Thank you. We are already at that point where um, we're running out of time. So I, oh my usually, gosh. I know, right? Every one of these interviews, every single time, I'm like, oh my God, how did that happen? But so I usually try to leave a few minutes at the end of the episode for the person to talk about a side hustle or an Etsy page or a charity or anything that they may be passionate about. It doesn't necessarily have to be theater related it's just a little pocket of time for you to self-promote or promote somebody else anything at all really oh that's a toughie <laughs> um yeah i don't have i don't have a side hustle per se i'm a correctional officer by trade so um i'm just thinking of you know noel's gift is always a good charity i don't know uh, i don't have a particular favorite or one that i'm particularly affiliated with unfortunately well what i do what one thing i would like to say is um Coming to Sarnia as a non-Sarnia individual, I was—I knew nothing about Sarnia. I knew nothing about the theater scene here. I auditioned for Beauty and the Beast and got into that show, and I was amazed by the talent and the drive and the ability of the people who were involved. And I thought, well, this is amazing to have this opportunity. And then I did another show. And again, I was amazed by the talent that was brought to the table for that show. And so on. And every show I go to, every audition I go to, I see brand new people that I've never seen before that are absolutely mind-blowing. That, that are, uh, it makes me say, where did you come from? Why are you here? You're so good. People who grew up in Sarnia perhaps don't have an appreciation or don't really have the... What I'm looking for. They don't have the uh, context to see how special the theater community in Sarnia is. Uh, to have a theater like the Imperial Theater to perform in with, mm -hmm. the, with the caliber of, of the, the facility there. To have the talented directors, to have the talented actors, the, the, the many, many talented actors, singers, dancers, choreographers who are involved, the, the, the talented technical pr uh, production crews, the set builders. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really, for a small town like Sarnia, I think it's unique. I've lived in a lot of towns in, in Ontario. I've been in a lot of cities, and I can't think of a town so small where the theater community is so big. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think you make an excellent point, too, that if you grew up here, you were immersed in it, you might not be able to fully see it. Uh, right, you I'm, take it for granted that yeah, it's there. I'm also someone that isn't from Sarnia. I moved here, so I know exactly what you mean. I came into it, and then I was like, what? These are volunteers? This is crazy. I, um, a number of times performing in shows, I've been asked by people who, audience members, oh, so you're a touring group that's coming mm -hmm. through. Where are you going next? Mm -hmm. No, we're all, just, we're all just people who live here, yeah. who enjoy doing this. Yeah. When I grew up in Burlington, the only little theater that I knew of was the Burlington Little Theater. And no disrespect for them. They were in a one-room one schoolhouse kind of uh, theater. 
And they did the same production of the the Mousetrap with the same cast every year. You know, it was it was that, and that's all they that's all they did. Whereas come to Sarnia, people are fighting for space on this stage. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 elbowing their way to the front, trying to be get their their time on the stage to do things that I've never seen done at community theater, mm-hmm. like like Evil Dead, like Avenue Q, like uh, something rotten. You know, these are new, kind of edgy shows that uh, I'm I'm proud to have been a part of. It is very impressive. And, uh, yeah, so that's all we have time for today. I, there's so many more things I wanted to ask you about, um, but I am extremely grateful for your time. And, yeah. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Doss. Okay, well, um, have a nice afternoon. All right, you as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, kids, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Next week's guest is complete wild card Max Major. See you then.